what we observe nowadays like the crisis in Ukraine currently at the border with the troops of NATO and Russia and before the annexation of Crimea and before this the Georgian war in 2008 they all come from similar perspective for me and this is the competition to influence more countries which are still um, in a hesitative position of course, Armenia and Azerbaijan are not exception of this. I was trying to understand how this crisis to be solved and how to uh, reach stability. We recorded this episode one week before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Until that point, we were referring to a crisis. At this point, however, it is a full-blown war. Joining for a discussion on regional security, the EU, Turkey, Russia, and more. Welcome to yet another episode of the Diplomatic Academy, The Conversation. I'm your host, Petros Petrikos. And for this episode, we look at regional stability, security crisis, the concept of power, and how these all fall into play between the European Union, Russia, and Turkey. And for this very reason, we are joined by a researcher specializing in this niche interaction, uh, Nelly Kirilova. Hi, Nelly. It's uh, great to have you with us today. Hello, Petros. Very nice to talk to you. Uh, Ms. Nelly Kirilova is a PhD candidate in International Relations and Security Studies at the Corvinus University of Budapest, Hungary, and a PhD fellow at the European Doctoral School on CSDP at the European Security and Defense College, the ESDC. Her PhD research explores the geopolitical competition in the Black Sea region between Russia, Turkey, and the EU, and the incompatible concept of power as a reason for international conflicts and security crises. As a visiting researcher at the Brussels School of International Studies at the University of Kent from April to October 2020, she developed a theoretical framework on contemporary balance of power theory, something which she applies to the Black Sea region. She undertook her expert interviews during a diplomatic traineeship at the permanent representation of Bulgaria during the Bulgarian presidency of the Council of the EU between November 2017 and July 2018. Nele Kirilova also holds an international master's degree in Russian, uh, Central and East European Studies uh, from the University of Glasgow in the United Kingdom, uh, an MA in Political Science from Corvinus University of Budapest, Hungary, another MA in International Relations and International Public Administration, and a BA in International Relations from the University of National and World Economy in Sofia, Bulgaria. She pursued international exchange studies at the Autonomous University of Barcelona and Spain and held visiting fellowships at the Lobachevsky State University of Nizhny Novgorod, Russia, and the Azerbaijan Diplomatic Academy in Baku, and the Ilyas State University in Tbilisi, Georgia. She successfully defended two MA theses, uh, the first one being the role of Russia within uh, the BSCEC and implications to regional diplomacy in 2015 and energy diplomacy in the EU-Russia relations and the role of Bulgaria in 2013. Now, Nelly, this is very good. You have uh, gone through quite a few academic achievements. 
So I want to get straight into the topic and uh, give me your very brief uh, introduction to this topic that we have regional stability and security crisis looking at the EU, Russia and Turkey. And uh, and I, I want to hear basically in terms of research, what is your main research question, how you approach this topic? Thank you very much, uh, Petros, for the nice introduction. Actually, I would like to make the link how this bio brings me to this topic. Mm -hmm. I actually studied international relations and foreign policy from the point of view of different countries, which really have a perception which not always coincides with each other. These are of Bulgaria, of Spain, of United Kingdom, but also of Russia, of Hungary. So the countries are, do not belong to the same bloc. They are not always the Western perspective or the Northern or the Southern or the Eastern, but it is a mix of perspectives. So I had the chance to understand very well that the perception about the same components of foreign policy might differ. And this difference might be the reason for a conflict. This is how. I um, decided that uh, the main point that I have to study in my PhD is exactly the difference of the perception and why the Black Sea region. If we look back in history, there are a lot of crises and conflicts happening around the countries in the Black Sea region and the hegemons have been changing. Those have been um, Roman Empire, Byzantine Empire, Ottoman Empire, um, currently Greece has been interested, then Turkey, then Russia, and all of them uh, were trying to Im influence more and more the countries in the region. What we observe nowadays, like the crisis in Ukraine, currently at the border with the troops of NATO and Russia, and before the annexation of Crimea, and before this, the Georgian war in 2008, they all come from similar perspective for me, and this is the competition to influence more countries which are still um, in a um, hesitative position. Of course, Armenia, Azerbaijan are not exception of this. And therefore, I was trying to understand how this crisis to be solved and how the region to uh, reach stability. Actually, the stability uh, can be achieved in different uh, terms. And the IR theory suggests a couple of um, opportunities to address the lack of regional stability. This is how I decided to work on this topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's very interesting that you've brought in also contemporary examples like uh, what's uh, happening in Ukraine and uh, the crisis there. It's definitely useful to have this diverse set of perspectives. I mean, if, uh, for example, myself, I specialize in the Eastern Mediterranean and the Baltics. And with the Ukrainian crisis, I, what I also picked up was that the, um, the countries in the Baltics, they have their own concerns for such action taking place in Ukraine. Because if uh, the EU, for example, which has its own perspective, it's much more... Um, you know, centralized, a centralized political perspective sometimes may, uh, at the core of its leadership, may ignore other individual member states' uh, concerns. Like the Baltics also have this very, you know, 
strong fear of any Russian activity taking place in the region, for example. So any implications in Ukraine, that affects them. Now, and it's also good to hear how you've started off by linking this topic and, and, and bringing in these very interesting questions. And, and I guess at its very core is how we understand, how we perceive power and uh, how this sort of shapes crises and conflicts. Uh, but just to take a step back and um, ask you more questions about the terms that we have, what do we mean by regional security and how do you think this concept is best understood in the EU uh, in the wider context and uh, its own neighbors? Yes, uh, actually security, power and influence are three concepts which could overlap between each other. Regional security, if we look at the Western Balkans and the Black Sea region, is first of all the stability, so the lack of crisis and lack of uh, secure, lack of conflicts between the actors. But security could have a different meaning if it uh, refers to one actor, and it could overlap with power and influence. Security is first of all the internal ability of an actor to survive, and then uh, influence is the ability of the same actor to impose some of its interests externally. So power can be looked as a combination of security, the internal um, stability of an actor, and influence, the external ability to impose its interests to other actors. Security in the sense of the EU is... Um, when we look at its neighboring regions, it's mainly the, the lack of uh, security crisis and conflict in these regions. But uh, it is really dependent on the other actors who are involved in these regions and who are trying to influence the countries which participate in them. So the actors which are the most influential in the Black Sea region and the Western Balkans are the European Union, Russia, and Turkey. But also NATO is involved when it concerns the military aspects. And also China is involved as a rising power uh, as it concerns the economic aspects of development of these regions. And also, of course, with economic security, right? So we have so many different angles at security when it comes uh, to the regional level itself. Yeah, yeah true. But uh, as I already mentioned, we could uh, look security, power and influence as three terms which are um, overlapping slightly. And the categories that I divide uh, the power into six categories, it could be looked at as security categories or influence categories. It really depends on the angle, whether we focus on the internal uh, strength of an actor or we look at the external um, influence that it um, acts with. Right, yeah. And, uh, you know, this involves heavy uh, theorization uh, and theory you know whenever we try to apply theory it's uh, basically our attempt as scholars as uh, also in, in some aspects strategists to try and understand the real world and try to shape or maybe respond to corresponding events and see how we can address them maybe solve certain problems in the international political arena and so on and do you feel what, what kind of role do you 
understand that theory has to play if there is such a strong role, apart from the conceptual approaches that you've highlighted. When it comes to explaining regional security, conflict and crisis, do you think that theory always reflects reality in this sense? Well, theory tries to create universal understanding of uh, similar problems. And then theory could be applied to different parts of the world which have similar problems. But of course, the specific regional characteristics or the specific uh, features which we have in the uh, examples that we look at, they should be taken into account. Because if we fail to take into account the very specific features of a region, then the theory might not work. But if the theoretical framework is good enough and we um, consider the specific characteristics of a region, then it will be successful, I believe. Um, actually, there are, um, if we address through theory the source of conflict and we try to solve the regional security crisis and conflicts, looking at the Black Sea region and the Western Balkans, the theorists say that there are two main reasons for the conflict. Reason number one is the nationalism of small states. And reason number two is the competition between the regional hegemons. So how we address the conflict and which theories we select to observe, it depends on which angle we choose. I have chosen the angle of competition between regional hegemons in my study, but also the other one would be really valuable to explore. So from the angle of competition between hegemons, there are a couple of theories which explain why the conflicts happen and how they could be avoided. Uh, there is number one, the balance of power, which says that uh, uh, if there is um, equal competition between regional hegemon or between actors, then there will be no conflict, there will be stability. Of course, balance of power is not about the region, it's about the, um, the wider um, area. But if we look at the region and we apply the participating hegemons, it is the same logic. If there is equal competition, there is no conflict. But if the one or another hegemon earns more um, power, and then the competition is not equal, then a conflict happens. Theory number two, security dilemma, says that the reason for conflict is the misperception. So maybe the intentions of the, all the hegemons are good, but maybe they don't understand themselves very well, and this is why the conflicts erupt. And actually what is missing in, as a gap between these two theories is, is that it's not addressed whether the power is perceived equally by the hegemons. So we could speak about equal competition, but competition on what? We do not clarify what is the exact measurement of power. And this is why our most recent theorist um, is really trying to explain what is the meaning of power. It is a complex, multi-dimensional um, idea which is really difficult to, to measure. And this, this is why I ended up on trying to measure different aspects of power so that maybe if I understand how different hegemons in the Black Sea region understand power, maybe it will be easier to predict whether they perceive each other as a danger or whether they perceive each other as a possible um, ally. 
I, I like also how your approach doesn't really focus on, you know, trying. it doesn't try to establish a universal model. You immediately recognize that, you know, for different regions, for different cases, we have to take a very a specific approach. We have to take into account those specific elements that fall within our cases. Now, it's very challenging to look at power uh, in terms of uh, conceptualizing it, in terms of uh, trying to explain what power is, I think this is some, one of the most difficult tasks uh, out there. How, how do you sort of categorize or group power and what sort of elements do you identify? Why? What sort of use do they have in the real world? If we look at the Russia, Turkey and the EU, we could say that they compete for influence or they compete to show who is more powerful. But power is what? There are a few explanations of power so far, and uh, some of them speak about hard power, uh, which includes the military economic um, aspect, some about soft power, which are the people and how people are approached, some about smart power, which is the combination between hard, hard and soft power, and even the newest concept of sharp power, which is the information. Because information is the quickest way to attack currently in international relations, as uh, if you control the information, then you could influence uh, huge masses of people. And if it is not controlled by the accepting country, you could really change how the local people perceive the ideas, the ideas that external actors are suggesting. Uh, so I make six categories, which less or more summarize these um, suggestions of hard, soft, smart, and sharp power. Category number one, is the military security aspect. And here falls also NATO as a military actor, military security actor. And um, this uh, is actually the aspect of power over which currently compete Russia and the West on the border of Ukraine. But um, the next um, component of power that I look at is the economic security or economic measures where also investment is included. If we look at the foreign policy of the European Union, the global strategy and its uh, following developments, we could see that the, one of the main aspects that the EU imposes as influence is the investment in other countries and regions. Of course, through investment, the local country could be influenced less or more on the way that it will behave in the future. Number three of the power elements that I explore is the energy and climate. Here, this is a really tricky part because for countries like Russia, energy security is even more important than other parts of the security. Um, if we look, it has um, a separate strategy for energy security, which is bigger than the combination of strategies of military security and the strategy of foreign policy. And this is the volume of pages of the strategies that Russia has. And it is really impressive that energy security could be such an important aspect in the foreign policy that the country has. Number three of the power elements that I explore is the diplomacy and um, diplomatic agreements and political agreements. This one is very common in international relations because what is international relations? 
Originally, it was understood first as military security and second as the communication of an actor with other actors through diplomacy. So this is my fourth element of power. My fifth element of power, this is the local governance of a country. And this is how um, a country succeeds to influence or to direct the thinking and behavior of the people within the country. It has a lot of social aspects, but it is directed from a local government to of a, of a country to the people within this country. And this is contrasting with number six of my elements of power, which is the access to information. Access to information comes between different countries. So through access of information, but one country or one government can influence the people in another country with the approval of its government or even without the approval of its government. It could go through internet, through international travel, through educational exchanges or all kinds of exchanges when the information is transmitted from people in one country or government to people in another country or government with or without the agreement of their uh, hierarchical structure. So through these six elements of power, I found that a regional hegemon can influence a country in uh, the sphere of competition with other regional hegemons. Yeah, and this can have a variety of uh, impacts on uh, different policy, be it at the domestic or uh, an international level. It's, you know, the attempt to uh, shape uh, not just public opinion, but also how the way that uh, the policy, maybe foreign and security policy, develops. Uh, do you have any specific examples vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis your topic on, uh, for example, the EU, Russia, and Turkey? How they each and every, each one of them? How do they understand these different uh, power elements? Yes, uh, of course. To be able to understand how this works in practice. I explored the latest uh, foreign and security concepts of Russia, Turkey, and the European Union. And um, the result was that uh, for Russia and for Turkey, of course, military security and uh, diplomacy, as I mentioned, these are the basics of in international relations. So these are um, really important, but there are special components which differ from each of them. So for Russia, the special component which differs as a value of importance from these six elements of power is the um, energy security, which is really strongly um, underlined. And uh, for Turkey, the, the value that really differs is the the Turkish population in other countries or the people in other countries who speak Turkish or Turkic languages or who are Muslim. <clears throat> so most probably this is one of the tools which Tur Turkey would specifically try to use when it um, influences external countries and regions. The people who have these common characteristics as language or similarity in languages and uh, religious um, closeness. And for Russia, it will be the energy security. It also a little bit imposes on Slavic languages, on Orthodox religion, but 
it's not as strong as for Turkey. For Russia, it's the, something that they call Russian spirit, and it is some some cultural um, uh, concept. But it is not exactly so much linked with the religion and language, but it is with the perception of Russianness. So, moving from to the EU, from these two, it's uh, really different. So what is valuable in the foreign and security policy of the EU is uh, something else. It is the investment. One of the main tools that the EU uses to um, influence external regions is the investment in different projects through different funds. And it tries to also formalize the way of governance of other countries and to make it similar to the EU. So this is the number four of the, uh, number five of the power elements, which is how the, the government works internally. So these um, two approaches that the EU uses are really different from uh, the approaches of Russia and Turkey or the elements that Russia and Turkey, let's say, target in a country which they try to influence. And therefore, it is not likely to have a conflict between the EU and Russia or the EU and Turkey when they try to influence external um, country because they just uh, prioritize different elements of power. While Turkey and Russia might have a conflict if they prioritize the same element of power as the people with some kind of identity that they link to either Russia or Turkey. And this is um, a reminder of the case of Nagorno-Karabakh in between Azerbaijan and Armenia, because it's really the people who make the, the through their beliefs, they are fed to continue the conflict. Mm. And uh, NATO, if we enter NATO in the, into this, um, it is only concerning the military aspects, really. And Russia and uh, the US have the post-Cold War competition on the military aspects, when now it is transmitted to NATO-Russia competition, and they, it's only the military, uh, military security aspect between them. Turkey has a little bit tricky role in this because it is part of NATO, but it also has its own interests, especially in the Black Sea region and the Balkans. So I'm not sure how this will develop in the future because Turkey is really good at... Uh, interacting through defending its uh, diplomatic interests. And um, um, we have to see in the future how this will develop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, uh, you've touched upon quite a few things here. Do you, um, you've explained how uh, pretty much what, what, what I've understood is that you, you said that you emphasize also the importance of understanding the different how different actors behaved so trying to map out what why and how they would respond to certain things to understand how they view things how, how the perception uh focuses on certain things and i think this goes to uh, this very well-known quote know thy enemy in a way says so essentially understanding how mm -hmm. your enemy works and then also know thy enemy and know yourself 
uh, it allows you to focus better on not just on the battlefield as this code was originally used, but also to sort of and anticipate strategically what happens. And I guess this is one of the main reasons why it's also important for uh, preventing conflict to see and understand the differences, not just culturally, but also how different actors think and behave to be able to address and mitigate the possibility of a conflict in advance. We said earlier that perhaps, you know, this is a very specific model that is being developed for uh, specific regions, but do you think that any aspects of what we've been discussing, do you think they can be applied to other regions or other hegemons? Yes, of course. But uh, if we look at the concept of power and the six elements that I developed, they really are suitable for the Black Sea region and also maybe the Balkans because of the same um, participants, same hegemons who are competing. But in other regions, maybe other countries, other hegemons might have other priorities that I'm not aware of and which are not applicable to this uh, region. So it could possibly be applied to other regions, but only if the other hegemons are also studied in detail, and maybe some of the components need to change a little bit mm -hmm. so that they could correspond to the specific hegemons and the specific countries in the region. Mm. Yeah, okay. Well, looking at Turkey then, just uh, again, going back to Turkey being as uh, one of the main players that you would try and use this model to understand uh, how it behaves and how it, you know, what sort of priorities it has in terms of security crisis. Do you think that you can use this theory to an extent to uh, for Cyprus and against uh, uh, Turkey, but also you know within the wider EU context? Or uh, also, you've mentioned, of course, NATO. How, how does how, how do you think that this theory can be used to cases like smaller cases? like Cyprus that are sh shaped and affected by bigger players like Turkey? Mm -hmm. Cyprus, of course, you know Cyprus much better than me. Mm. But if we try to test this theoretic model for the case of Cyprus, first we need to define who are the actors um, there, the hegemons. So if we have Turkey on the one side and we have the EU on the other, but also Greece, we have Greece maybe as a separate actor who is really interested in the um, solution of the conflict. And also, do we have NATO as Greece and Turkey are both members of NATO? And how does it relate to the case? And also, do we have other actors, other countries perhaps, maybe some Muslim countries supporting the northern part of Cyprus? I don't know but maybe they participate, maybe not, maybe some Asian countries or maybe not. So we need to be very clear about who are the participants. And once we know who are the participants, then we could look at the six elements of power and explore in the latest foreign and security policy of each participant, which are their priorities. After we know who prior prioritizes what, we can then judge how they would uh, perceive the, uh, the 
interaction by another actor. But what we could also do is we could look at the specific case study of uh, Cyprus and we could measure each of the power elements. And we could start on like number one power element and we could look how each of the different actors interacts and then number two and we could look how each of the different actors interacts. And then if we make a history of these interactions, we could possibly um, know what to expect when or who is more aggressive on which elements and who is more relaxed on which elements. And also we could find the strength of Cyprus. Like let's say if we look at the, at, at the people as an element, uh, the, the beliefs of the people, for example, the identity, the religious beliefs or language, and we could see who is influencing whom and how. And if we try to minimize this influence or if we try to make the people interact more from both sides of the conflict, um, then the people themselves might be empowered and might say at one point that they just don't, don't accept the external influence anymore. Mm. The it's it's interesting, uh, you know. There's, there's also different actors at play as well that we didn't really mention. I mean, to to some extent, uh, other actors like Russia they have an economic interest. So you know that's again a very specific interest towards Cyprus. And as you said, yeah, we have to map out and understand what these conflicting and different interests are of these other outside players. Also, because you've mentioned you brought in the identity question, and I guess. Uh, I don't want to digress because Cyprus is, uh, again, a, a, a completely different case. I identity is an issue in Cyprus. <laughs> There's, there are so many conflicting identities uh, as to how people feel about the state, as to how they feel about the nation, their, their nationhood. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very interesting case to see how these map out and how they differ. Um, but uh, you also take into account other things outside that, that are, you know, that are directly linked to the conflict and this power game between these different actors. But uh, it, it also requires a very, you know, ethnographic sort of understanding. And it's like one of those cases where you actually have to be strongly present there to understand this, how dif different people feel and so on. I mean, I guess this is just my... Uh, uh, take on this but moving on from this rationale of this model that you're applying what else is out there what else can we explore from this point on i think that the, after we know the actors like i'm finishing in my uh, dissertation exactly the the perception of power by these sectors. And the next step is to make a case study. Like Cyprus is a little bit distant, but maybe you could do for Cyprus with other actors, but for uh, countries around the Black Sea, let's say Ukraine in this moment is a very hot topic, but I think that in the future, other countries in ar around will continue to be hot topics at one point or another, because looking back in history, this is repeating over and over again. Uh, so the next step would be to take one case study, Ukraine, Georgia, it could be Moldova, even Armenia, Azerbaijan, just one, and to explore uh, in depth each of the six elements of power in a certain period of time, 
fixed period of time, how um, how the presence of each of the actors is uh, measured in certain time in one in each one of the elements of power, and then we could know that for this time, this and this actor is uh, really influencing or advancing on this and this element, and we have a conflict intensification or we have stability. And then we could have the link between which actor is influencing on what and how this effect affects the stability in this specific case study, or how this affects the intensification of the conflict in this case study. Let's say for Ukraine, we have approximation of the West through NATO troops or through in, 2000, in um, yeah, 2014, when there was the Euromaidan, we have approximation towards the West, like potential for advance in the negotiations for EU membership, maybe one day. And this reflects into the reaction of Russia. But why? Because for Russia, it's uh, losing the military influence there or losing the energy security influence or losing the influence over the people. We have to dig deeper in each case study and to understand when, at what, what advance of which hegemon leads to a specific uh, reaction of another hegemon, which intensifies the conflict and creates crisis in this moment. It's good to see how we can take this kind of model and try and apply it to contemporary crisis uh, in, in a bit to understand what's going on. I mean, obviously, the crisis in Ukraine is, is certainly not over. And then to some extent, stating also the obvious, it's an international crisis itself that escalates and de-escalates. And you have all these different actors at play that you mentioned. You have Russia, you have the EU, you have NATO. I mean, you have also the US because we've also seen the US taking again a much more active interest even though they've uh, in recent years they've decided to follow a lower profile approach especially in areas like the middle east where they've begun you know pulling out from but at, at the very end this sort of uh, conflict this these type of conflicts for the very reasons that you've mentioned they're not really new in terms of how they are generated. You've said it yourself history repeats itself and it's good to have a good understanding of the structures and also the events and uh, that, that shape these and let's see how we can mitigate and further prevent. Um, I'm just gonna wanna ask a very final question in general, just if you wanna share with us um, uh, what, what sort of, um, how your research is progressing and uh, what other goals you have uh, in the near future. As a PhD candidate who is writing the dissertation, my goal is to finish the dissertation at this point. <laughs> but in the future, I really want to contribute for conflict prevention and regional stability in the Black Sea region and the Western Balkans. And I believe that it's possible through science and through cooperation. And my research, this one is about the competition between regional hegemons. But maybe as a next step, I would go to the other approach, which is how the nationalism or the, the strong competing identities are created. And I think for Cyprus, this is really uh, suitable as well, 
because as you mentioned, how identity is constructed and who feeds the antagonism in different groups of society to have different identities so that they could have not so nice feelings for each other. Mm. Maybe the external actors feed this uh, antagonism or maybe it's transmitted from generations or maybe it could be somehow changed into belief that we could all cooperate. I don't know, maybe... This is the next step. Yeah, it's uh, one of those future <laughs> research questions that we have. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, Nelly. It's been lovely uh, getting to hear your thoughts and I wish you all the best with your work. Thank you very much, Petros, for the nice conversation. All the best to you.